1: Listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 361, and today we are talking about books being released on May 10th, 2022, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Vanessa!
0: Hi, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm saying hello to you like we didn't just talk for 20 minutes before we started recording.
0: Indeed. <laughs> and laugh a whole lot. Woo!
1: Yeah. Yeah, we needed actually a little recovery time before we started recording because we were talking about some very funny things, including the episode of Wheel of Fortune that I watched last night and the final puzzle. And if you know, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen anything like it. And my husband and I laughed until we cried.
0: (laughs) As did I just now. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I love Wheel of Fortune. We watch Wheel of Fortune in Jeopardy every night. But I don't have a lot of patience for everything else. I just want to hear the questions. I just want to do the puzzles. So I like f- like fast forward through like them talking about their stories and <laughs> their lives and it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Just tell me the like questions. Like I would pay I would pay to just watch Jeopardy with just questions, people answering questions. You know <laughs> I would pay I would especially pay to watch one with just book questions. Like
0: I love those. It's oh, yeah,
1: my favorite part. I get so excited. And I get very angry when they're like in like the category, like, you know, famous fictional characters. And then someone, you know, answers a question and moves away from that category. I'm like, no, go back, go
0: back to that, you cowards. <laughs> this would have been my moment. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. But I, I usually sweep those, you know, it's really fun. The other category is not so much. I'm like, no, I don't know. But
0: I have my specialties.
1: But we were also discussing like the pressure. Like I would like I oh can answer a lot of the questions like with time. But I would not be able to handle the pressure on either of those shows. Nope. You know, kudos to all those people who can do it because I would just be like, "Uh -uh, I don't want to. Uh -uh."
0: Yeah, I told Liberty I'd be that person who was nervously hitting the buzzer like all the time and then not knowing the answer or like knowing it, but being too nervous to say it. And then just being like 17 grand in the hole and like hoping for a big comeback. (laughs) Like adrenaline is a powerful drug.
1: Yeah. The only reason I want to go on Wheel of Fortune now is so that I can hit the buzzer like Jason Mraz did on like this. Fortune. (laughs) He hit, he held it with one hand and banged the top of it with his palm of his other hand. And I've never seen a contestant do that before, nor have I seen anyone do it either. And I was like, that's pretty cool. That looks pretty cool. They even pointed it out. They're like, what are you doing with the buzzer? Sir. <laughs> you know, or the de- they don't even call it a buzzer. I think they call it a device. Like, what are you doing with the device? But it looked it looks pretty badass. So I was like, I want to do that. But that's it. That's the only reason I would want to go on there.
0: That's the only <laughs> – I'll write that down.
1: <laughs> I was like, please – like, I wonder if they give tours. I'm just going to keep talking about Wheel of Fortune. Like, I imagine, like, if you gave, like, a studio tour and you, you could charge people just to spin the wheel once. I imagine. Know? Like, they must do stuff like that because people would be lining up to just be like, I just want to stand here, you know, and look at the board and, like, spin the wheel and here's, you know, 30 bucks or that whatever. That absolutely feels and, like but a thing. They must.
0: Yeah, that you would yeah. be able to do all one of those. That's yeah. my assumption.
1: Because, like, they give away so much money. They have to make money somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Make up for all those Ford expeditions or whatever they're giving out. I don't even yeah, know.
1: We're always like, how are they getting this much, you know, this much money to give away? So, uh, aside from Wheel of Fortune, let's see. Um, you just finished up a vacation. Yeah. And I'm starting a vacation, which is pretty exciting.
0: We're in a vacation liminal space.
1: Yeah. I, am I I mean, it's like a vacation. I'm not going anywhere. It's a staycation, which is a word that That's I kind fine. of hate, but, like, I say it all the time.
0: Yeah, I say it all the time, too. It yeah. is fine.
1: <laughs> I don't know. People have their word preferences. It's, like, not one of my favorites, but...
0: I mean, I didn't, like, stay, stay home, but I went, right. like, 45 minutes away, so it's, like, almost a staycation, but, hey, I was in the woods, so that is fine.
1: Yeah, and, like, you, you know, you were doing your thing and, like, working on stuff that you wanted to do instead of, like, yep. work, work, and... I'm just going to read books, I think. I hope. I'm shocked. Yeah. I think, like, last time we recorded, I mentioned that I spent, like, two hours putting together a list of books that I wanted to read on my vacation. And then uh, the other day, I bought several more books because apparently, like, having, <laughs> you know, rooms full of books is just in case, you know, like, might not be enough.
0: So. <laughs> you have enough books to last, like oh, most my people, goodness. four lifetimes. But sure. <laughs>
1: yeah. Before we continue this conversation about... The floor joists in my house. We're going to hear from a
2: sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my that he will have seven great loves in his life and then he meets arena in 95 and she's like the best she's brilliant charismatic quick-witted funny they fall in love
1: So many books, like so many books. I picked up the complete Death Note, which is a manga that I had not read and apparently is an anime too. Oh. Very popular. And I was like, I've heard great things about it. So I bought it all in one edition and it's 2000 pages and it came Holy. in, it came in mass market size. So it's like, what? it's like a brick. It's like bigger than a brick, but it's about oh, that. Oh that my gosh. I was like, this is really awkward to read. And that is my lesson in not, you know, learning about what I'm purchasing before I, <laughs> before I order things. So, but it's going to be great, I think. I like the guy on the, the spine or the monster or whatever it is for Death Note. Uh, it's super creepy. So I think it's going to be a good time. I
0: mean I need to read more manga. I'm so behind. Oh, I'm so so behind.
1: I just read all seven volumes of Spy Times Family which oh, is a Book Riot favorite. Yeah. I sat down and read all seven of them, and then I picked up a novel, and I opened it backwards. Like, no joke. Like, just picked it up and <laughs> opened it. <laughs> just from that of back. instinct, yeah. Yeah, because my brain was, like, still in that mode, and I was like, oh, wait, Mongo this mode. is not how you do it with novels.
0: <laughs> how funny.
1: Yeah, but that was really cute. I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, yeah, I'm really getting into it. I'm doing, like, Patricia and I talked about like the cat massage and all these different like cat ones now, where it's like, Oh, that's right. You know, this cat is my boss, this you know, this cat, I don't even know. But we're gonna talk about books that are coming out today now. And speaking of cats, it's gonna lead me to my first pick (laughs) of the day. Now, you know that I work really hard to bring you, the listeners, the best books that I've read for this week. So that is why I'm starting with the best book that I read for this week, which is <laughs> The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza by Mac Barnett and Sean Harris. Uh, this is this is it. This is the best book. It's one of the best books of the year. It's a middle grade graphic novel, and I enjoyed it so, so much, and I'm telling you about it now because it's the best. I feel like that time that I, I recommended Baby Monkey, like, I love it like that. It's about the planet. Something is happening to the moon. This is very bad. Something's happening to the moon. It's affecting nature. The tides are out of control. And the moon is starting to look different. And upon further examination, it turns out that there are rats on the moon. And they are eating it. That's bad. It's real bad for the world. So the government gets out the one weapon that they have to combat this. The one weapon that they have been saving for this very kind of problem. A cat. But not just any kind of cat. An artificially enhanced cat who has chips in his brain so he can think really smart things. Because that's apparently how you use your brain. Someone had to tell me that. And, like, all kinds of gadgets. He has all this cool stuff going on. And he's ready for his mission. And his name is Space Cat. Like, first cat in space. Like, that's his name. He also doesn't speak. So, he's sent up to the moon. And along the way, he discovers a stowaway in his spacecraft. A robot. Uh, whose sole function in life is to clip toenails. Ew. Uh, and this robot has big dreams because, see, previous <laughs> sentence. You know, the robot wants to do something else, and is like, "I will come with you on your journey, and we're gonna have we're gonna have great times." So they the spacecraft lands, and they meet the queen of the moon, and the queen of the moon says she will lead them on a journey to the dark side of the moon, which is where the rats reside, and they are gonna put a stop to their plans. But it's gonna be like this really hard, trying adventure. Also, everything on the moon is the same as Earth, where except you say moon in front of it. It's like moon rocks, which we already know, uh, moon pizza, moon car, moon clothes, except for fruit, which is called glumpfoozles, for reasons we don't know. <laughs> so... They go on this adventure. They meet the man in the moon, like the literal man in the moon. They travel through these mines in the moon and fight these things called scourges. They get separated. It's very harrowing. They get separated for a while. Uh, They end up in a tropical paradise on a beach for a bit. They encounter giants. They encounter all kinds of things. And also, someone close to them has turned traitor. But who is it? And in the end, they use friendship and ingenuity, you know, to succeed at their task. And this book is... It's so cute. First of all, the illustrations are amazing and adorable. And the book is about working together. And also about wanting respect and misunderstandings. Like, some of these creatures aren't as bad as their reputations claim. You know, they're just, like, misunderstood. And, like I said, the cat doesn't talk. Space cat doesn't talk. And also... He's always about to get pizza, and then something happens and he doesn't get to have his pizza. It's like Charlie Aww. Brown in the football. Like He never gets to kick the football. He, he's always trying to get his pizza. Um, so, will Space Cat get pizza and or save the moon? You have to read the book to find out. This is The First Cat in Space Ate Pizza, which I guess says it all there in the title, by Mac Barnett and Sean Harris.
0: That sounds so delightful. <laughs> so cute.
1: Oh, my goodness. So, like, I saw the cover of it, and... I thought it was like a picture book at first. And Me too. I started too. reading it and it's 300 and something pages long. And I was like, yes. Oh. Yay.
0: Oh, I totally didn't. Yeah, I t- absolutely thought it was going to be either a picture book or like, um, I don't know, like chapter booky, like early, early. I did not think it was going to be like a 300 page book. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm excited. Okay. Adding that to my list. And now I will tell you about a book that I love to absolute pieces, and that is Café Con Lychee by Emery Lee. I'm going to first go ahead and say, in case I just upset you with that pronunciation, that I am not entirely sure how to pronounce Lychee because everyone I know from different Asian backgrounds just says it differently. So some people say Lychee, Lychee. I, I, I'm going with what I've heard my most recent friend <laughs> say. But it is such a cute, it's a YA queer enemies to lovers, like rom-com. The main characters are Theo and Gabi, who are not friends at the start of the book. They're juniors in high school in this tiny Vermont town, and their parents own competing cafes. And so as such, they they are enemies. Theo is the son of Chinese and Japanese parents who run a shop that sells like tea, boba, and traditional Chinese pastries. He's great at soccer, like really good at soccer, but he gets pretty average grades he's gay and out to his parents who are like okay with it quote unquote but like also don't love it mainly what they don't love is that they see him as like a very average son and come from like a very traditional culture where like they expect their son to like get really good grades and they don't get why he's messing around with sports so they see their older son who had perfect grades and went off to college as sort of the golden boy and Theo is left feeling you know kind of inadequate in his shadow And then Gabi, which is short for Gabriel, is the son of Puerto Rican parents who also own a shop in town that sells Puerto Rican coffee and pastries. He's a dancer. He's he's such a cinnamon roll. Like, such a sweetheart. He's a consummate warrior and overthinker. He is also gay. But thing is, he's in the closet. Like, no one knows. His parents are very traditional, very, like, heteronormative including a dad who, like, at every turn reminds Gabi that, you know, emotions are girl stuff and men don't cry and men should be playing soccer and men showing emotions is gay. So Gabi is forced to hide his real self for everything from his love of ballet, which he does, like, in secret, to, you know, his sexuality, obviously, from the most important people in his life. So he plays soccer to appease them, but he's really, really bad at it. And that is just another one of the reasons why Theo can't stand him, (laughs) because on top of being from, like, the rival cafe... He's also just really like, why is this guy, you know, messing up my soccer team, which is really bad in general. Like the team is bad, but like he focuses all of his rage at him because it's just easier <laughs> to feel that way. And so, again, they're kind of enemies. They have these competing cafes, like everything is is kind of bitter between them. But then neither of the shops is already on, on their own, like doing particularly well. But then this new cafe opens in town called the World Fusion Cafe, and that means bad news for both Theo and Gabby's family's businesses, because this cafe, even though their product, that, which we know thanks to like a secret recon mission, is pretty mediocre at best. It is very Instagrammable. It's very, you know, fusion-y, very catchy. They make stuff like kimchi empanadas and, you know, boba drinks that are like three different colors and that change when you you know drink from them and... So again, very like gimmicky, and that's what people are going for. Like people don't seem to care that the stuff isn't all that great. They're just like, oh, the- I can post this to the gram. So as that's happening, the again, the, the cafes for each of the Theo and Gabby's families are, are suffering, and Theo is kind of having feelings about it because he has this jerk uncle who actually owns the cafe and is always in his parents' face, but wanting to close it down because it doesn't make him enough money. And then Gabby finds out actually that his parents have been offered. That someone offered to buy the cafe and they're like seriously considering it. So they both are trying to come up with maybe some like harebrained kind of scheme to save the cafe without their parents knowing. And then Gabby accidentally sprains Theo's wrist by like clashing into him again on the soccer field for like the millionth time. And basically, due to <laughs> like parental oversight here, the boys kind of and not, you know, not through their own intent or desire end up getting kind of teamed up together to quote unquote do. Like, fix, fix the shops. Again, it's kind of like a clandestine mission because, like, Theo was already planning to do some of this stuff, but his parents are, like, really wanting to, you know, force it because Gabby kind of sticks his foot in his mouth and says, well, I'll, I'll help, you know, Theo do his deliveries for the week because he just wants to help out again. He's a cinnamon roll. And that is how they end up working together, even though Theo hates the idea to, again, try to save those businesses. And then how do they do that? Theo has this idea where he's going to sell like fancy photo-worthy food on the low at school to offset the cafe's losses. And Gabby, again, gets kind of roped into this scheme, but the more time they spend together, the more invested they both get, they come up with bigger and better ideas for like how to pull this off. So even though Theo was at first not entirely sure how he felt about Gabby, you know, hated his guts, he's starting to see different elements of him that maybe aren't so bad, and again, this is a rom-com so feelings. <laughs> and are they gonna let those feelings get in the way of you know their ultimate mission? Again, this book is queer. It's got the two cultures or three cultures, even. So I, it is so mouthwatering the way they talk about all of these yummy pastries and, you know, teas and cafes. There's uh, ADHD rap. Like Theo is from the very beginning talks about how he has an ADHD diagnosis. And it's just so delightfully. It's also a little bit grumpy sunshine sometimes in addition to being, you know, enemies to lovers, but it's just so cute watching these two boys come together over this. Really, like, shared desire to, like, see their family do better than the circumstances that they've been doled out. Ugh, and it's just, again, the food part was phenomenal. So it is such a fun book. I loved it so much. Like, I devoured it in one sitting. And that is Café con Leche by Emery Lee.
1: Okay. So my next pick, actually, my next three picks are books that I have not read yet. Because the book I was going to talk about today just got moved And I will talk about it at the end of the month when it comes out. I'm saving it for then because I really enjoyed it. Uh, So my next pick I have not read, but I'm very excited about. It's called Forbidden City, and it's by Vanessa Hua. Uh, Hua wrote a book, a novel that came out a couple years ago called A River of Stars, which was excellent. It was called one of the best books of the year by several publications. And before that, had a collection of short stories, which were published with a small publisher, a very small publisher, uh, called Deceit and Other Possibilities. And then it got picked up and reissued by Catapult and got a lot more attention. And it's just a fantastic collection. I think, which we already hear is the problem, Uh, but I do think that Rebecca talked about it on the show many years ago. Um, It's a really great collection. And this one is about a girl named May. She is a... 16-year-old girl during the 1960s Chinese Cultural Revolution, and she's recruited by the Communist Party. Uh, She doesn't know why. She's given this, like, secret mission she's brought to the capital, uh, and it turns out that they are recruiting girls to dance for party members. And Mei decides that if she has to be there in the capital, she's going to learn as much as she can, and she's going to get close to the person in charge, the chairman, Mao Zedong. And so while she's working on her scheme to, you know, find out as much as she can and, you know, get herself into a position of power if she can, Uh, she has to handle jealousy from his wife and other dancers. And also uh, he gives her a secret government mission, finally, after being there for a while. But she discovers that this revolution and her part in it are not what she thought it was. It sounds fantastic. I hope to read it on my vacation. Uh, It is called Forbidden City by Vanessa Hua.
0: Okay, and I will tell you about my next pick, which is a bit of a left turn. <laughs> uh, this is one that I've read about 60% of, because I also had big plans to do all kinds of reading and writing on my vacation, and then the world did its thing, uh, <laughs> and the news cycle, so I, I just wasn't able to finish it. But I do love what I've read so far, and that is Dead End Girls by Wendy Hurd. Wendy Hurd is the author of several books So she's recently had, She's Too Pretty to Burn and The Kill Club this is the first book that I've read by her even though I own all of her books just haven't gotten around to them but it is it is a ride from what I've read so far so ever since her parents divorce teenage Maude has basically been living out of a suitcase and bouncing between her two parents homes her parents are divorced her dad straight up kind of forgets about her, and her mom doesn't appear to be her biggest fan. She's remarried to a guy, I cannot remember if his name is Tom or Todd, but whatever it is, like, Maude calls him, like, Tombercrombie, because he's just that guy walking around in, like, a polo all the time and making, like, air guns people and calling them kiddo. So, he's harmless. Eh, Arguable, from what I can tell, the direction this book is going in. But anyway, it just seems like the stepdad and the mom are more focused on the kids that they have together than her, so, you know, they basically use Maude for... Unpaid babysitting. And then when the book opens, Maud has just showed up for her week at her mom's house, and she's actually really, like, no lies legitimately looking forward to it. Because at the end of the week, she'll be tagging along with her stepdad's family vacation, like extended family vacation, to Hawaii. And you'd think, oh, that's why she's looking forward to it. Vacation. No, she's actually looking forward to it because that is where and when she plans to die. (laughs) But in this case, fake her own death. The plan isn't you know, slapped together. She's been researching and putting together all the details of this for two years. She has everything worked out down to having, you know, fake bank accounts set up and like the specifics of the tragic kayaking accident that's going to kill her before she, you know, runs away and begins life anew in London. She is doing this in part for revenge, her parents, her families really are kind of awful. And so she feels that they deserve this. And also she's just really drawn to the kind of romantic idea of an untethered existence. You know, being able to roam free and unfettered with like no one to stop her or for her to have to report to. But problem. the Someone is onto her. Mainly it's actually her step-cousin, Frankie, who finds out. She doesn't know how, but she finds out what Maud is planning to do. So Maud is like, great, like this is about to, you know, ruin all my plans. She's going to rat me out. But Frankie doesn't want to expose her Frankie actually wants in like also wants to join her so away they go on this chaotic journey it you know the new development requires some readjustments of the timeline and finances and stuff but they agree to you know embark on this journey together to be you know free of their truly awful families you get a lot of the stuff you probably expect you would so like you know stays in cheap motels and fake IDs and passports and shoplifting but also violence and the added layer here well, two added layers. One, they're starting to feel attraction for one another. And then B, Frankie suspects that someone is actually trying to kill them. So they may have, you know start off as runaways, but they quickly become fugitives, leaving a trail of, of violence and murders you know, in their wake. So from what I've read so far and I'm actually further into the book than I thought now that I'm staring down at my iPad, but it's it's dark, it's queer, it's twisty. It from like the reviews that I've read, does a decent job of confronting Like acknowledging basically the privilege that these are two white women with access to money to like pull all this stuff off, but also that their queerness, you know, has a layer of oppression to it. Again, intersectionality is very important. But I just love what I've read so far. And if it wasn't for the fact that my brain was just not in a place to want to read... Uh, read-a-lot period, to be honest, over my vacation. I absolutely would have tore through the rest of this. I'm excited to do so and hopefully go back and read the rest of Wendy Hurd's stuff. So, again, twisty, dark YA thriller. Can't wait to finish. That is Dead End Girls by Wendy Hurd.
1: Alright, so for my next pick today I chose... Unfadeable by Maurice Broaddus, because I've read some of his other books, and I'm very excited about this one. This one is a middle grade novel about gentrification. The main character is a young black girl named Bella Fades. This takes place in Indianapolis, and Bella is a young graffiti artist whose tag is unfadeable. And somehow, Bella is living on her own in an abandoned house. And as the story unfolds, we're going to find out why that is Uh, And she's working to avoid child services and being caught while also using her smarts and her art to bring her community back together and try and save her neighborhood. It's a story about how children can make a difference no matter how old they are. And it's being pitched for fans of Kelly Yang and Jason Reynolds, which is why I picked it up and hope to read it on vacation. I also really like Maurice Bratis. He has a new space opera that came out a few weeks ago. It's the first in a trilogy called Sweep of Stars, which was really excellent, a little hard sci fi. And then he also has a steampunk novella that I love and is also a favorite at Book Riot uh, called Buffalo Soldier. So I'm looking forward to reading
0: Unfatable by Maurice Bratis. I've been singing. Buffaloes. I wish we said that. Anyway, <laughs> that is who I am. I am musically driven. <laughs> We're
1: just kind of wacky uh, today. Like, I'm yeah. all over the place. You know, what you don't hear in this recording is that we've had to stop like half a dozen times because <laughs> I'm just so excited. I, I'm like a puppy and, and I keep messing up
0: i'm technically still on vacation ish not really sort of so like i get it we're just both like what's time
1: like i wish (laughs) now in hindsight that we had done like an outtakes episode (laughs) but it would just it would just be us going like like, (laughs) tripping over our tongues and also me having the hiccups asmr yeah
0: (laughs) and me clearing my throat constantly it's really sexy and like
1: things falling down in my office (laughs) someday yeah (laughs) It's been a while, so I'm due.
0: You are. You are. Well, I will tell us about my next pick of one that I'm excited to read. It's actually out in paperback and one of the books that I started when my brain was like, I need fluffy things uh, on vacation. And that is The Mermaid, The Witch and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall this is another Book Riot favorite. And when I saw that it was releasing in paperback, by the way, two years after its release, you know, for those who maybe don't know, like a book will often just stay in hardcover if it's selling really well, because it's selling really well. So like, why change the format? So a whole two years later, this is now coming out in paperback on, you know, Tuesday the 10th. It's been on my shelf, I think, the entire two years uh, that (laughs) it's been, you know, out. So I'm just I'm not even reading the paperback, I'm reading the hardcover. But it is a queer pirate book with mermaids and magic, and that was just like, yeah, that sounds like the panacea that I needed. The features, so it's, again, a pirate ship, but... The characters in this book, or at least one of them, Lady Evelyn Hasegawa, thinks that this is a transport vessel. She is a highborn imperial daughter and she's on, she thinks, a one way voyage to an arranged marriage to her betrothed. On this transport vessel, quote unquote, is the pirate Florian, who is actually Flora, but is disguised and come, you know, posing as a man on this ship who's gotten by doing whatever it takes to survive. And then, you know, while the ship is on its voyage, ta-da, the captain and the crew show their true colors. This ain't no transport vessel. It's a pirate ship. And then they decide to enslave the ship's wealthy passengers. So both Florian and Evelyn have lived lives that aren't their own. They've been dictated by other people's, like, rules and whims. So they start to develop feelings for each other. And when they fall in love, they apparently decide to, like, basically take a leap and take their fate in their own hands to work out a way to escape this ship and to do so they're going to need the help of a captured mermaid an opportunistic witch and the sea itself so yeah the book like the tagline that got me was stolen memories illicit mermaids blood double agents and haunting mythical creatures i'm like yeah i am in <laughs> so i'm glad i ended up packing this in my uh, overly stuffed suitcase to bring with me because i'm not very far in but what i have read so far is just like ugh, chef's kiss really perfect for my current mood so yeah, out in paperback, that's The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea by Maggie Takuda Hall.
1: All right, before I tell you about my last pick today, we are going to hear from another sponsor. All right, so, whew, this is going by so fast. Also, my stomach still hurts from laughing. Like, a whole lot of, whole lot of <laughs> joy going on today, which is great. It's much better when we have fun.
0: <laughs> it is.
1: So, all right. My last pick today is Mystique Island by Sarah McCoy. Uh, it is, according to the publisher, I have not read it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. It is a 1970s sun-splashed romp with a rich divorcee and her two wayward daughters. Now, Mystique Island is a real place. I did not know this. It is the world's most exclusive private island. Apparently, celebrities have gone there in the past to hide out from the press. It was a favorite spot of Princess Margaret and also Mick Jagger. And this takes place around that time when they would have been there. Uh, in 1972, there is a woman named Willie May who is a former beauty queen from Texas uh, and has had several marriages and is no stranger to Scandal. And she takes her two daughters to get away and they go to Mystique Island. Uh, she's trying to re- reconnect with her two daughters. They've kind of have this wedge and sort of drifted apart. But they also will discover the island's dark side and its secrets, and it's going to change them and their relationship to each other. So I'm excited to read this. And I have to say, full disclosure, Sarah McCoy is a friend of mine, but I became friends with her, like I always tell you, because I started out as a fan of her work. Uh, I love her books. She writes great historical fiction, including The Mapmaker's Children and The Baker's Daughter, and she is just a delight. So this one is Mystique Island by Sarah McCoy oh i've been wanting to read that one gotta add that too yeah it's gonna be awesome it's giving me like very taylor jenkins reed vibes yep exactly and you know sort of like you know the kind of 70s stuff that's coming out right now with the titles all of which are losing like i'm not remembering right
0: obviously i can't (laughs) even say any words
1: okay you go now words they are gone (laughs) they're flying
0: away (laughs) it's totally fine Again, today is just one of those kinds of shows. (laughs) And that's that you don't know everything else we talked about. Uh, Okay, so my pick, next, last pick, is one that I absolutely would have read for today, but then faced exactly what Liberty did, which is that, A, Liberty had picked it first. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to read it because she's going to read it. And then they changed the release date, and it actually came out last week. (laughs) So either way, it worked out that I get to talk about it because I'm super, super jazzed. That is the Hacienda by Isabel Cañas gothic haunted house like done i'm gonna read this and it's got comps to mexican gothic which i always go in with a little like mm, side eye like mm, but like the more i read about the premise it's like okay this uh, does seem like it's gonna have some overlap um just in the feel at least so it's set right after the overthrow of the mexican government and the main character Beatriz, her father who was a general was executed and their family home burned to the ground Beatrice and her mother make it out like just in time, and they're taken in by unsympathetic relatives. So Beatrice, who's sort of looking, well, a for survival, but also like maybe for a little bit of like social comeuppance here, gets the chance to marry Don Rolfo Solorsano, who is a handsome, rich man who owns this giant hacienda in the Mexican countryside, and it seems to be the solution to like all her problems. Never mind the pesky rumors surrounding the fact that you know his last wife, like, what happened? <laughs> her very sudden demise is. Thing kind of shrouded in mystery, but look, she needs security, she needs assurances, so she's going for it. She's going to be the new Mrs. Solorzano, and she's going to be the senora de la casa, you know, the woman of the house in this countryside estate called Hacienda San Isidro. And she'll have her own home again, no matter the cost, except that this Hacienda is not exactly the sanctuary she thought it was going to be. Don Rodolfo returns to work in, in Mexico City, in La Capital, the capital. And as soon as he leaves, she starts to basically see visions and, like, hear voices in her sleep and, like, while walking around the house. So she knows, like, something is wrong with this house. Like, this thing is haunted. What is going on? But she's kind of getting gaslit left and right by the other people in the house. Her sister-in-law, Juana, like, scoffs at Beatrice's fears of everything that's going on but then she also refuses to enter the house at night and then the cook too is like "Ah, this is on your head but then she burns like copal incense at the edge of the kitchen and like marks the doorway with these strange symbols and again like no one knows what happened to the first so she knows for certain like something's wrong with this house no one's gonna save me i need help and she ends up soliciting like the help of a young priest as an ally who by the way and this is all in the back cover so like no spoilers because again i haven't read this is a witch (laughs) he is a witch of like mestizo ancestry so this book like takes a look at colonialism and uh you know the caste like the caste system caste system and colorism and just basically class inequality and race and so many things in this big beautiful gothic like i love the cover so that's what i'm talking about my beautiful i just cannot wait to read this book it sounds super up my alley and hopefully we'll have less references to creepy mushrooms than mexican gothic because i have not yet recovered from that but anyway really pumped to read this one that's the hacienda by isabel cañas
1: it's excellent Yay. i read it You know, I was very disappointed to discover that after we recorded the show last week, it had changed dates um, because I wanted to talk about it. But we're talking about it today. And it's so good. It's it's a little more on the Rebecca and Jane Eyre side than the Mexican Gothic side, but...
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Okay.
1: But also like a little supernatural and it's fun. And also I was thinking about it because, you know, we read these books and she shows up at this house because it's like her only option, basically. And they're like, okay, so we're not going to stay in this house. You can stay there. But none of us will go in there or stay there. And she's just like, okay, cool. And I was thinking, like, what what would you do in that situation? You know, sleep outside? Like, (laughs) of course you're going to go in the house. Like, you know, they might be lying to you. Who knows? But, yeah, I thought it was excellent. I really liked the stuff with the priest. And I thought she was a really awesome character. And there's good villains. And it was Mm -hmm. just great. It was really great. So I'm very excited that we're talking about it now. I'm excited. So those are the books that we have read and the books that we are excited to read. And now we're gonna do a little quick lightning round of paperback releases, starting with We Play Ourselves by Jen Silverman, which I know a couple of writers are just absolutely wild about. It was the finalist for the Lambda Literary Award. It's about a young filmmaker who sort of disgraces herself. She's kind of canceled, and she flees to the West Coast and she meets a group of teen girls where she staying who have a fight club and she decides to make a documentary about them. Also out is Switch by A.S. King, a Book Riot favorite. We love her. This one is about a time in 2020 when time has stopped and so now everyone's trying to figure out how to get time going again. Why did time stop? Uh, Including some teenagers who are trying to find a solution to the new time problem. A.S. King has written like a zillion amazing books including Dig, Gloria O'Brien's History of the Future, And ask the passengers and just love everything that she does. Also out is the love songs of W. E. B. Du Bois by Honore Fanon Jeffers. This was an Oprah Book Club selection. It was longlisted for the National Book Award for Fiction. It was a finalist for the Kirkus Prize for Fiction. It was shortlisted for the Center for Fiction First Novel Award and longlisted for the Aspen Words Literary Prize. That's a whole lot of nominations. It's an excellent book, and I must tell you, it's actually sitting right now under my microphone because it is also a 900-page <laughs> book and. Oof. So I have a couple of like very large books that I used to stack my microphone on uh, when we record the podcast. And it's about uh, a family and follows them over the centuries. And it's just so, so, so good. And last but not least is I Will Die in a Foreign Land by Kalani Pickhart. This is a $2 radio publication, which I mentioned because they are one of my favorite small indie presses. Uh, It was a 2022 Young Lions Fiction Award finalist and a VCU Cabell First Novelist Award made that long list. This is only one of a handful of hardcovers that $2 Radio has put out. They usually do paperback uh, and it's coming out in paperback. And this came out last year and now is very relevant. And I I believe the run sold out uh, once the news broke about uh, Russia and the Ukraine This is set in 2013 and follows for individuals over the course of a volatile Ukrainian winter, starting with thousands of Ukrainian citizens who were gathered at Independence Square to protest the then-president's failure to sign a referendum with the European Union. So, sounds amazing. You're going to get another chance to get it because it is out of paperback now. And those are paperback picks for today. So, Vanessa, those are our new books. What are you going to read next?
0: I am absolutely going to dive right back into The Mermaid, The Witch, and the Sea because loving it so far. And then I think somebody mentioned this last week as they're like what they're reading. But I just started on audio uh, Spear by Nicola Griffith. uh, And I did not realize that until about 45 seconds ago. But uh, as far as somebody having talked about it, I didn't magically remember that I audio booked it. Uh, But yeah, queer Arthurian. It's novella length. I am very jazzed to hopefully finish that on like a nice long walk today.
1: That's what's great about books is that lots of people can read them. Yay. I heard about a graphic novel called Artie and the Wolf Moon by Olivia Stevens, so I'm going to pick that up. And my first choice for when I start my vacation, which is tonight, once I finish all my work, which will probably actually be like 2 or 3 in the morning tomorrow... (laughs) is to reread this very small book I read many years ago that I think about all the time called A 20-Minute Silence Followed by Applause by Sean Wen. It's this, I think it was like originally like an essay, and she's a journalist, and she did this deep dive into the life of Marcel Marceau, who, if you don't know who he was, was a famous mime. Like, that's what most people know about him. But he also was a resistance fighter in World War II and did all these incredible things that you just had no idea about. And she just talks about that and also, like, about being a mime, which like people always make jokes about mimes, you know, and, like, they're, it's, they're always, almost always, you know, derogatory. But, you know, they, like, it's a lot of of interesting things that go into like making people interested in you, you know, which is why like the title is so great. You know, like 20 minutes of silence followed by applause Um, and how like he was able to make himself insanely wealthy being a mime and teaching other people to be mimes and like how audiences were just captivated by him. And I think about this book all the time. Usually when I see a mime on TV or in a movie or something. Uh, And so I want to go back and read this again, because it's been a long time. It's out from Saraband Books, which is another one of my favorite indie presses, so whenever I can give them the love, I do. And uh, before we go, I also want to point out to you that you can still take our listener survey. Uh, It's time for our every few year listener survey. You can take a few minutes to come tell us about what kind of podcast content you like and what you'd like more of or less of from us. Uh, You can go to bookriot.com slash listener survey. I want to point out that you probably won't get the outtakes, so... You know, you can write that, but you might not get the outtakes. (laughs) Uh, Go to bookriot.com slash listener survey and fill out the survey. And you'll be entered to win a $50 gift card to the indie bookstore of your choice. So that's bookriot.com slash listener survey. You can go ahead and do that now. And that's it for today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at allthebooksatbookriot.com. You can find us online. We mostly hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I'm friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And we like that. We like book lovers. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash books, as well as find a link to our weekly New Books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy Happy reading. reading!